Hi, I'm Bryce. And I'm Jimmy. We are telecom and creative professionals. We're also fans of podcasting as our respective careers give us an abundance of windshield time. While there is a podcast for just about any obscure topic you can think of, there was no regular podcast pertaining to Montana politics. And that is why with our combined powers, we are Montana Voices Podcast. We strive to be an independent voice for all issues pertaining to Montanans and Montana politics. We also strive to be very forthcoming with our personal biases as we attempt to see beyond them. Montana Voices Podcast does not operate in a vacuum. We need your support. Whether that be listening to our cast, providing us feedback, sending us conversation topics, sharing our content, or providing financial support. We look forward to a long career in podcasting with your added assistance. Yeah. There are better ways to spend your energy, in my opinion. Yeah. So, so do we want to like formally get started now? Yeah, let's go ahead and... Okay. One. Well, Bryce, let's go ahead and run into episode 36 this year. 30, oh, man. Let's do, you know, 30-ish. Yeah, 30-ish. 30-ish. I'll, I'll get the numbers. You know, there. it's my 30th birthday on Monday, so we'll call it uh, 30. Thriving in Great Falls or something like the, that. The numbers mean nothing, so episode yeah. 30. Numbers again. mean nothing uh, when you're hitting your 30s there. Well, welcome to Montana Voices Podcast. We're here with a very special guest who I'm going to let introduce herself. Hi there, my name is Jasmine Taylor, and I am running to represent House District 22 in Great Falls, Montana. Excellent, Jasmine. It's great to have you on. Um, we're doing this cast in person today, as you can tell, because we have a uh, guest here with us. Um, and on top of that, we got the cast together, the crew as well here. So, uh, yes, the band's all here. And it's great to be here. We'll be together later this week as well for a special cast, possibly from a place that has it later this week. Uh-huh. Indeed. Are you from Great Falls originally? <laughs> yeah, yeah right. I've grew up well, okay. in District 22. District 22. Where okay. I'm running. So, um, schools then you. Great. So I went to Valley View. Valley View. And then I went to North. And then I went to CMR, and I actually went to college here too. I went to the Catholic school okay. during my pray away the gay phase. It was an expensive way to find out that uh, you can't. You okay? So you did the pray away the gay thing. I did. Okay. It was ineffective. No, I was raised Catholic, and so, and I've known I was attracted to men and women probably since I was like seven or eight, mm-hmm. is when I started having crushes on people. Mm-hmm. And like the first time I fell in love with a girl, I was 12, but I didn't know bisexual was a thing. So I'm 31. It was um, when we still had dial up internet, we had one desktop uh. PC in the living room that we didn't get until I was probably in high school. And so you didn't have, exactly. And the computer sounded like it was screaming. Um, And so I didn't know that was like an option. Um, I just knew that being gay was wrong and I took it very seriously. And I definitely thought I was going to hell for a really long time. Um, And so I, I, I wouldn't say I dated women like openly, I had relationships with women throughout high school, mm-hmm. but I was completely in the closet. Like 100% didn't want anyone to know about it. In college, went to a Catholic school. I was like at church every Sunday, trying very hard to be straight. Yeah, you can't pray away the gay, it turns out. And you just spend a lot more money on a private school when I could have just gone to Missoula and come out of the closet a lot sooner, I guess. And had so much more fun. Missoula's always <laughs> like... It- I mean, for anybody, Missoula's, like, it's a great, fun time. Mm-hmm. I gotta say, we like to go there and hang out with him, so. So you actually chose your school based on, I guess, sort of repressing yourself, is that fair to well, say? Well, it was, I did go to a Catholic school because I was very Catholic at that time. Yeah. 
Yep. And I had some family obligations here. Um, uh, there was a lot of pressure probably from them to go to a Catholic school, I imagine. You know, not necessarily, but um, my grandma and grandpa on my mom's side spent a lot of time taking care of me and my brother when we were little. And I mm. was really, really close to them. My grandma passed away October um, two years ago now. But she had been kind of struggling with health issues for quite a while. Mm. She ended up being diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Um, and we couldn't afford like a nurse or anything. So my, my college was a few blocks away from a place they had in town that they lived. And so I also wanted to stay here to take care of them. And that, you know, she just got sicker and sicker. Um, and I was lucky in that my office that I work at now is also really close. So my boss was great if I'm like, hey, like grandma fell. I have to go for a few minutes, pick her up. And so that was a really big motivating factor for me to stay here as Absolutely. well. So. Probably a big driving factor in your um, just desire to keep the town in as a good place for everybody then as well, I imagine. Well, yeah, I think... <laughs> with everything like people have a tendency to see the bad uh -huh. um but i find with great falls like there's a lot of opportunity for different arts recreation culture you know i used to run a nonprofit for kids theater here for years mm -hmm. um and we would do two shows a year with 40 kids and i loved that we would teach them the basics of theater oh, that's so cool. yeah it was great um so always had that going i always had theater if i wanted to do it to direct or to act in um, we have a ton of local musicians. We have a lot of local artists. Like, there is a lot of things here. I think in Great Falls, it's mostly about changing that perception that there's nothing to do mm -hmm. um, and increasing things to do if you're under 21. Like, our 18 to 21-year-olds get excluded from a lot of those events because sometimes they take place at bars and things like that. Um, but there's a ton to do in Great Falls. And if you are an artist, I've never had anyone tell me no to like, hey, I'm doing a photo shoot. Can I use your location? Can I use this business? I've never had anyone tell me no. Um, and so that's something that is more about changing cultural attitudes about who Great Falls is or what Great Falls is and what it looks like. I, I, I see a ton of progress here, especially in the past like 10-ish years. I do as well in that regard. Um, there's a certain group of people, I guess. I, I wouldn't say that there's a group that I could point out exactly, but I do hear from a lot of people of like, yeah, you know, there's just there's nothing to do here. And it's like, geez. Um, well, I don't know, John, figuratively, uh, wh where else do you think we should uh, go and do things at? You know, what else do they have? They Oh, they have a Best Buy in Missoula, huh? Wow. Great we Falls doesn't have a Best Buy, but Missoula does, you know? I, like, you, like, what is it to an extent of, like, because a lot of these bigger towns, like, yeah, sure, they have a bigger scene maybe or whatever, but, mm -hmm. like, that doesn't mean we don't have a scene. Mm -hmm. Great Falls doesn't have a music scene. You telling me that? You haven't been to the back alley pub. Exactly. Um, we have a very active arts and culture scene. It is. It's there. Mm -hmm. You might not like it, but it's there. You don't like that one? There's others, you know? There's um, country acts, I'm certain of some variety if you're into that kind of thing. If that's your thing. But yeah. Mm -hmm. As a Great Falls expat, I'll... Uh disagree with you but <laughs> or maybe not like that i've lived yeah. in a number of places in mm -hmm. montana billings laurel haver and most recently missoula so we've been all around and great falls although it's no missoula which is now sort of where my heart is it's uh also not billings which is a good thing i think yeah you know people like to point out uh you know terrible things about great falls in that regard of like you know the worst nickname I think we have is Meth Falls, and it's like, wow, that's... Billings first, the cake on that. Yeah, Hands straight up, first off, very clever of you there. Wow. You know, A-plus for originality on that. 
Second, are you telling me that we don't have a meth problem that Billings does? Like you Lockwood, really? Yeah, there's a whole town built on it, actually. Yeah, built on. <laughs> that's built a great transition, though, because that's actually something I, I wanted to talk about. As far as one of the reasons that I'm running, yeah, meth is absolutely a problem here, mm -hmm. and opioids, and that's not just Great Falls, Montana. That's nationwide absolutely but i feel like great falls is having a great conversation now about public safety but we're missing the mark somewhat um, because we have this huge increase in crime but they're they're property crimes they're theft they're things like that um violent crimes isn't increasing like we're seeing our our property crimes increase and there's this been this response of well we need to hire more police officers absolutely our police officers need to feel safe, but police officers by and large respond to crimes that have occurred. Yeah. If we want to prevent crime from occurring, we have to address the meth and alcohol issues that Great Falls has. And so this isn't even just a Great Falls issue. This is something like the Department of Corrections puts out annual reports um, that discuss these things. And so they already have found that for dealing with populations of addicts, they have pretty good success if they go to an inpatient treatment facility or even an outpatient treatment facility. Um, one of their best examples is there's a place called Elkhorn Treatment Center. Um, and so in... Oh, is that oh, here in town? No, it's not. Oh, okay. So if you are sent to a court-ordered treatment center, and Great, Great Falls has very few options, mm -hmm. um, that actually intersects what I, with what I do professionally. Um, and as far as places to go, we have one halfway house, which is kind of like a sober living house, and it's only for men, and it oh, can take less than 10 okay. people. This is sort of like uh, there's a chemical dependency center I know in Butte. And, yes. Uh, that's kind of like the same yes, thing, Yes, these right? are chemical dependency okay. centers. Right. And if you have people with addictions, and that's what's motivating their, their criminal behavior, behavior, mm -hmm. prison won't stop that addiction issue. And so like the Elkhorn Treatment Center, they had 337 women that were sent to that treatment center per their last annual report. And only 4% of those women were arrested on a repeat drug crime. And if you know anything about addiction, that's an amazing improvement. Addiction can say something of more than 90% of people having a relapse. Um, so if only 4% of people from this treatment center are getting arrested for another drug crime, that means it's working. That means that inpatient treatment can help prevent recidivism of drug crimes. And we don't have a lot of options for that here in Great Falls. We have 60,000 people. We have less than 30 inpatient beds for 60,000 people. That's Oh man! I, oh, Jim, I gotta take a second there. That's mind blowing. There that we've four percent. There's some change coming. I mean, on that. from oh, the uh, sorry, I used the catchphrase. Change but. is coming <laughs> for certain. Well, that's insane change right there. I say. Um, well, I was like, gonna ask about what happened with the public drug building, the old public drug building that has been burnt down for the last. But 15 years. Mm -hmm. um, there was some talk about a possible rehab center in there. And a lot of those provide some outpatient support. Uh -huh. um, and that can be great if you're at that step of recovery, of being an outpatient that's going to go to you know an AA group every day. You're going to see your LAC, which is a licensed addiction counselor. Mm -hmm. Those are fantastic. And we need more of that support too. But we need more inpatient. And that's a higher level of care. Um, and that's the kind of care you need when you're first stepping into treatment. It kind of sets you up for success in that situation. It's it's very much like a healthcare facility where you really are going to be safeguarded against 
the things that would help you commit a, a, a relapse offense. And so if we had more inpatient facilities that would reduce what we're spending on prison, which is super expensive. Which I understand is the jail is full currently. Um, if you mess up bad enough, boy, they're going to find room for you. And like when you think about that, like, oh, well, what do you mean they're going to find room? Like, are they, uh, he only hit his wife once. We'll let him go. Or are you, they just going to shove you all? Okay, well, one more in the cell. That's the actual answer is the yeah. one more in the cell, um, because that's another thing that the Department of Corrections has addressed is that all of our jails throughout the state are consistently at capacity or they're overflowing. And when you think about what contributes to someone going to jail, it's addiction and it's mental health. Mm-hmm. So you're going to put a lot of people in need of those treatments in an overflowing jail. That's not an ideal situation for the offenders, and it's not a safe situation for your officers. No, it's only ideal when you're trying to make numbers. And... Uh believe that's what the prison industrial complex is all about there than uh, greenbacks yeah there's money to be made Bryce I, I missed there was a, a town hall sort of thing down at the Civic Center and mm-hmm. I missed it uh, what was that last this week it was um, last week I want to say I, unfortunately I was out of town for work for that event um, but that was addressing the safety issues that we're discussing the increase in those lower level property crimes from what I understand if it's like not a violent offense so they're not putting you away now right it comes down to issues of capacity. It comes down to issues of workforce. It's not a, a simple solution. And unfortunately, the idea of lock them up, that doesn't solve anything. No. The, the, if they're committing crimes based on an addiction or a mental health issue, which is the vast majority of people in the prison system, then locking them up for a short period of time doesn't treat them. It doesn't stop crime from happening if we want to talk about crime prevention we have to talk about substance abuse treatment when you talk about that um a lot i know a lot the one thing that drives me up the wall with a lot of these people is um you talk about the chemical dependency centers and uh, i think like suboxone treatments mm-hmm. and stuff and people think about those and uh the one forwards from grandma you know you see a lot from is uh the concept that we should be providing free insulin over free Narcan for people. And it just drives me up the wall anytime I see it because it's like, man, I, <laughs> yeah, well, they chose their, uh, you know, illness there with addiction. And it's like, no, they didn't, man. Uh, no. And know. for for the fact of the matter, they should both be free. Exactly. Healthcare should not exactly. be a for-profit endeavor. But I, I completely agree that we view, view substance abuse as indicative of a weakness in character and and poor decision-making skills. I think that's changing a little with the opioid crisis because it's no longer restricted to just poor people. Um, It's middle and upper class people that are now suffering from addictions. But frankly, there's no science behind that. And I don't believe that an opinion should be weighed the same as medical science. We know that addiction is a biopsychosocial problem. We know that you're going to have genetic factors that influence whether or not you would become an addict, whereas someone who doesn't have that that biological um, history is not going to become an addict. We know that things like adverse childhood experiences promote addiction. We have great science understanding the way addiction changes our brain, changes our decision-making capacity. And so to try to act as if it's just this flaw in character is to intentionally misunderstand what addiction is. It doesn't further the conversation. It doesn't help get treatment. And it's not just addicts that benefit from substance abuse treatment. These are people with families. The addicts don't happen in a vacuum. And addiction doesn't just come from one day of making a poor decision. 
so I think it's just part of that broader idea of having empathy for people. Um, and it's easier to put that person who needs their insulin in a pretend fight against this person that needs their suboxone because then you're not really getting to the heart of the issues you're saying no no no, the diabetic is just more worthy because we understand their medical issue better they're not in competition there's no reason for it to be in competition well the mass incarceration i think is a simple solution to what you're pointing out to be a complex problem sort of uh when when only tools a hammer everything is a nail so to speak that's exactly what we're looking at here so if elected to House District 22, certainly will be some opportunity and maybe possibly peeing up some federal funding for this. But what does an ideal model look like you for Great Falls? For Montana and for Great Falls, I think we need to look at who is most affected by things like mass incarceration. Even though Native Americans are a small portion of our ethnic diversity, they are disproportionately represented in our prison system. And that's not an accident. Um, we already know that a minority and a white person are going to receive different sentences for the same crime. So we have to have some uncomfortable conversations about things like privilege and how they affect mass incarceration. I think Montana has to commit to not having anything to do with the private prison complex. Um, I think when you come to vital services, which prison is always going to be necessary and is a vital service, those should never be privatized. Those should never be for profit. They should always remain in the public sector to encourage transparency, accountability. Um, but I think we need to move from a model of punishment that we know doesn't work to a model of recovery. Um, and I think we already have the data to support that. This is something that the DOC looks at continually, and they do a pretty good job with um, the different facilities that they contract with to do these things like these addiction treatment services. I think that's where we need to probably revolutionize, revolutionize how Montana treats offenders. Um, and I think we could do that here with proper support, with a, a destigmatization of mental health issues, um, with a real stark conversation about addiction and what it's done to our community. And so I think it has to start with letting go of those beliefs that we hear repeated and repeated and repeated that are not based on fact, and then being willing to accept this new information and put it to use. Absolutely. Well, let's steer back towards talking about you a little bit more. Your last run, oh, it was the city council for Great Falls, right? City commission, yes. Oh, city commission, mm -hmm. excuse me. Council, commission. Uh, Commissioner. Couldn't tell. Uh, it's, it's the, guy, <laughs> the guy who runs the police, right? Commissioner Gordon. Oh. <laughs> not up for that job, <laughs> no. Yeah, fortunately that was not fruitful this last time, and that's sort of when you came on our radar, mm -hmm. because you uh, attract a lot of attention that um, I think was... You got in there and made some waves there, but that's all right. Just it's, by name alone, and that's sort of how you mm -hmm. came on our radar again. A certain uh, blog caught up with you yes. about they they knew about your running like the day it was filed. There was a uh, an article on it, and, which was important it, for them. I don't know why. Way but, yeah, they were Johnny on the spot with that, as if uh, like there are some people <laughs> that pay a lot of attention to me um, and their motivations. I won't uh, 
I won't even get into because honestly, it doesn't affect me a ton. Um, but so city commission, I decided to run for city commission because of some things I wanted to see happen in Great Falls that hadn't happened yet. Um, specifically, we really need a non-discrimination ordinance to protect our queer community. Obviously, that matters to me a lot. Um, and we're behind the rest of the state in getting that done. You know, Helena has one, Butte has one, who I would say is one of our most comparable cities to Great Falls. And so city commission was a really good way to kind of dip my toes in. Um, and see if I enjoyed being in that realm of activism. I've done rallies, I've done protests, I volunteer a lot. Um, hadn't tried politics until the run for city commission. Well, exciting, and right not all of Montana's caught up with uh, Missoula, I'll say. Billings, uh, yeah. I think we had... Billings. Uh, they did there, but then, like, they tried. For, they, they tried. I thought that they had it, and then they, like, no, stepped no, themselves back from it. it down they twice. walked it back, or no, they voted it down twice. They voted it again, wow. voted it down again recently. And honestly, that's really disheartening um, because there's real life consequences to that. You'll see that when things like an NDO don't pass, it in will increase the suicide rate for your queer people there. Um, it can increase hate crimes, especially against trans people who don't pass as their um, gender identity. And so that failed attempt was rough. <laughs> and and mm -hmm. our, um, our queer community there is still reeling from that. And so um, that B was a pretty big disappointment. Billings already has somewhat of a yeah, <laughs> spotty past, you could say, with hate crime stuff. At least a couple of times there's been like swatches painted on the rocks and stuff. And then suggestive language in Billings proper advertising material against yeah. Americans. What was, that, um, that was a different Oh, yeah. Point. I was going to say, we brought that up again. Somebody, there was a billboard put up that was, uh, once you looked at it and read it a second time, you're like, well, what did that say again? And We have politicians in Montana that promote that kind of behavior. I don't know if you guys read um, what Corey Stapleton put out after the Little Shell tribe was recognized, but I was was he pissed. how could you be against that they've been fighting for that for like so he he sent out that's um, our what tribe. was seemingly a congratulations but it was basically saying the idea of who doesn't or what does it matter who was here first which one fuck you Corey stapleton and two the other thing he delved into that was extremely racist was this darwin comparison you do not sit and compare the little shelves fight for federal recognition to darwinism i mean it wasn't it wasn't subtle racism it was overt racism and personally i was appalled that someone who is representing our state, supposedly speaking on behalf of all of us, but take that moment to promote his racist views. Yeah. Let's be clear, um, there were a core group of Little Shell Tribal members that got that legislation passed and they worked their asses off to get that legislation passed. And even at their celebration here, they had politicians come congratulate them and take a nice little photo opportunity that voted against them. So let's make sure we know that it was the Little Shell tribal members that worked literally for decades yeah. to get that passed. The city uh, election did not pan out. So uh, sort of the question I wanted to ask is, why not maybe revisit that? What motivates you to go to, you know, see, I don't want to call it a higher office, but one that's representing more people or has a greater impact. I sure. Think. So there's two reasons for that. 
Firstly, I really enjoyed running for city commission. I think people get discouraged if they don't win the first time around. But the fact of, you know, local elections is sometimes you have to try a few times. Mm-hmm. And and that's not a bad thing. I chose with the city election to not do yard signs, not do literature, um, because I preach sustainability all the time. And so um, they tell you when you have like a walk card, which is the card a politician gives you when you knock on their door, people throw it away within eight seconds. You have eight seconds to get that out and to, to grab their attention. And so I didn't feel like I could justify the waste to do literature for such a small election. I figured I would get my message out. I would be available to answer questions. I'd do these public forums so people could say, all right, well, we know who, who she is and where she stands. And the other thing that that election taught me is that the issues I want to talk about are a little bit bigger. I was really thankful for those forums. A lot of them discussed some, some very niche topics. But I want to talk about things like substance abuse. I want to talk about, you know, abortion. I want to talk about mental health. And those require the legislature. Those are things that are going to happen on a bigger level. Um, Governor Bullock had to veto three um, anti-choice bills last time around. And I am very open about the fact that I've had an abortion. Um, It's important to just say I've had an abortion because even saying I'm pro-choice remains like a little bit of stigma around it. And the fact is there's plenty of women like me who have had an abortion. I don't regret it. It didn't ruin my life. I'm so glad that I had that choice because I was 24 years old. I didn't have the capacity to raise a child. And for who I am, I don't plan to have children. I don't want to be a mother. It was the right choice for my life is really important. Like we need to talk about that more openly. Being forced to continue a pregnancy I didn't want would have been life altering, would have ruined multiple aspects of my life. I I think we act like we just tell women continue with the pregnancy and then give the baby away. Bullshit. For one, a pregnancy is going to change my physical body, affect my mental health. Um, There's going to be huge costs associated with it. And I work a lot with um, foster kids. It's a big part of my job um, is going to residential facilities. um, And those are mostly foster kids. So there's this false narrative that there's this happy home waiting for every unwanted child. Tell the 3,000 kids in Montana that don't have a foster home right now about this happy narrative you have. That is a big, big part of it for me as well. And it hits the heart really hard for me. Anytime we talk about dead kids, we're quick to jump away from it on here because it's just something that just really disappoints us with the state anytime with um, uh, the gal down by Hardin that just passed away um, out by that truck stop and then, or not, it was a rest area. And then on top of that, Antonio from here in town that we talk about. And then um, you hear about these people wanting the best for the kids and shit. And it's like, cool, you're going to vote no on that. Are you signing up for foster care? Mm -hmm. Are you not? uh, (laughs) And it's probably important to say at this point, probably should have started with this. I'm not representing my employer. I'm not representing any of the groups I'm affiliated with. These are just my personal opinions. But I tell you, Child Protective Services is another hill that I will die on um, because I work closely with them a lot of the time. I have never in my life met a lazy CPS worker. I, a lot of my life is reading clinical files. I've never read a file and thought, why did CPS take this kid from this loving family? I've thought, oh my God, thank God they got there in time. Thank God this kid was removed from that situation. But the fact of the matter is, you have to have a bachelor's degree to work for CPS. You're never going to pay off your student loan with what they pay. They've got around a 50% turnover. They work 
crazy hours. They go into dangerous situations. One of my good friends is a CPS worker. I once had to go watch her kid in the middle of the night so she could put on a bulletproof vest, meet the cops at a house they were about to bust for meth, and take those kids out of there. People want someone to blame, and I get that, especially with the things that have happened in Great Falls. But for one, your CPS workers can't talk about it confidential information so they can't stick up for themselves and two pay your cps workers they'll give them a reason to stay they are going broke taking care of these kids they have so much secondary trauma i mean we have cps workers that get exposed to meth and spend two days in the hospital after removing a kid here and then we trash them and then we act like they're heartless what social worker goes into this line of work because they're heartless like you want to talk about bleeding hearts talk to your cps workers talk to your aps workers they give a damn about those kids they're the ones that are going in when these awful things happen and having to deal with those siblings they're having to walk into those crime scenes they're having to try to sleep that night after seeing something like a child being murdered you want to support foster kids you better fucking support cps you want to support the kids that need help like you said be a foster parent be a casa there are so many things that you can do but trying to blame like women who are devoting their lives to protecting kids for these awful things it's not fair like we know who's to blame especially in the case you're talking about the people that murdered that child those are the ones to blame 100 percent. and um i can't i've never talked to an active cps worker because it's always i used to work for cps i couldn't handle it and they tell me about it and it's like good god if nobody would be able to handle that and yeah pay them you know, we have this discussion. Uh, we're big advocates for the children in general, of, uh, the same way as the school levy, which is the next thing I was going to bring up yes. there. Uh, the teachers and stuff. People oh, immediately, immediately, uh, <laughs> what the trees? Yeah, the trees. Oh, oh, we're going to talk about the tree. Oh. oh, so a couple of things. Um, I think we really need to reevaluate school funding in the state of Montana. Great Falls is experiencing what a lot of people um, are experiencing throughout the state, and it's just that we're not getting enough state funding from our schools. And, you know, the public gets exhausted with these continual levies, and when they fail, then our schools have, you know, direct impact. And ultimately, that comes down to our kids, our kids missing out. Part of the problem is that property taxes are about 25 to 27% of how schools get funding, while 13% of Montana lives in um, poverty. And obviously certain schools are going to have less funding based on that. And so you're taking kids who are already most at risk and then you're sacrificing their education. Uh, One thing we talk a lot about um, in Great Falls is the school to prison pipeline and what that looks like. You know, if you we have a lot of kids that are sixth, seventh, eighth grade that don't have basic reading skills, that haven't had the opportunity to develop some of the vocational skills that used to be guaranteed. We used to learn a lot of that within our public schools. Public schools are kind of the great equalizer that when kids are there and they're there consistently, they're getting some form of stability. And our teachers make so little in Montana, some of the worst in the nation. Our paraprofessionals make so little. My mom's a paraprofessional. What she's seeing is her classroom, you know, she's got 15, 16 kids this year, which is just more than what they can do. That's kids that have maybe cerebral palsy, maybe they're on the autism spectrum, maybe they're developmentally disabled. You have two or three people and a classroom full of kids in wheelchairs that need 
one-on-one education that needs someone to help with their hygiene. She makes $14,000 a year working full-time, taking care of disabled kids in a classroom. That's unacceptable. It's ridiculous. And you can work full-time and still be poor. And we're losing these teachers left and right because, again, they can't pay their student loans with what they get paid here. And a teacher at this point, you're a teacher and you're a case manager and you're a therapist and you're probably sending some kids home with food and washing their clothes. I mean, our teachers are covering the gaps in our social safety net right now. And we're making it impossible for them to make a living while doing that. At the same time, we're increasing classroom sizes. The funding keeps getting cut and cut and cut and we don't have the tax revenue to make that up. We need smaller classroom sizes. We need pay that's gonna encourage teachers to stay in Montana, to move to Montana, and we need to value the work that they do enough to to support them when these levies come up. But it comes down to making up the revenue. When state revenue falls, school funding falls. And I think there's a really easy way to do that. I think we legalize recreational marijuana. I think those tax dollars go to our school. Um, we need to get ahead of that. We need to do this before the federal government starts taxing it. You know, places like Colorado have done this so successfully. And that's also going to solve some of our prison overpopulation and some of the absolutely racial discrimination that goes along with it. Um, this is something I, I care a lot about. Um, and it's something that could bring serious tourist income here. Um, but also greatly increase our state revenue. There's there's no reason not to do it. There's no science behind not doing it. We have wonderful examples of it being successful that we can build on. Like there, it, We're constantly struggling to fund our schools and we're leaving this giant income source on the table. And for me, that just doesn't connect. Fix the problem. We know how to fix it. I don't know. There's this group here that wants it almost to be like the Northern Bible Belt, it feels. And... Uh, you know, it goes along with our neighbors there in Idaho, Wyoming, and um, not North Dakota because they're on. <laughs> they're cool over there. Uh, <laughs> south there, though, in uh, Southern Dakota, um, uh, it's more like Northern Korea in that sense of like it. Uh, don't even think about it there. It's a misdemeanor. So, um, yeah, I, that would solve so many issues in that regard. You, um, you, and then if you push that funding towards the schools. That solves well, all those issues of like, well, mm-hmm. who, who's going to pay for it? Well, all those people you don't like, maybe? You just... Oh, here's the thing. I firmly believe, for one, if you're white, you've always been allowed to smoke marijuana. And two, even if you don't smoke marijuana, your lawyer does, your doctor does, like your counselor does. Lots of people smoke marijuana. The difference is, what color are you? Because then you may or may not have a consequence for it. I have my medical marijuana license. Um, And so I don't have to necessarily worry about that end of it, but there's still a weird stigma attached to that. Um, And this is something I've written about in graduate school pretty extensively. Like the data is there. Marijuana is not, has never been dangerous. The history of marijuana um, prohibition was extremely racist. It's right there. Um, They talk about the minorities that used it and why they wanted to make it illegal. But until that time, it was included in the pharmacopoeia. It was an acceptable Mm -hmm. um, medical tool, and it still is. And we we have to get with the times here. Marijuana marijuana money could fund our schools. The other thing that's getting a lot of attention is sports gambling, whether or not we should legalize sports gambling. If we legalize sports gambling, okay, give that money to my schools. That's totally fine. Like people in in Great Falls 
gamble. That's a separate issue. Oh, that's that's a people, separate issue. You know, people want to make it seem like it's a huge problem here. Oh, we're just getting another casino, and it's like, yeah, and the parking lot's full. Okay, so clearly there's a market here. Well, of people you know, who I I'm hesitant to support vice taxes. I don't think the government should tell me certain aspects about how to live my life. Oh, spoken like a true Montanan. <laughs> but those are, I mean, those are private decisions. Now, addiction is a separate issue. Mm -hmm. And and we know that, you know, from like the behaviorist psychology perspective, variable reinforcement will get people hooked to things. But taxes don't necessarily um, stop that behavior. We Just like we know punishment doesn't stop a behavior. And so if we have these businesses that want to have sports gambling, um, that's pretty in line with the gambling we already allow. And that's a huge revenue source. And we need that revenue. People don't want their taxes to go up for things like the property that they own or the state income tax. And that makes sense. We're struggling. All of us are struggling financially, um, except for a very, very small percentage of people who mostly aren't from Montana. Agreeing with, with, with both of you, but for different reasons than Bryce, I think. But I, as a non-marijuana user nor green card holder, I just don't think the, the government has the right to tell me what I can do as an adult. It's sort mm -hmm. of my opinion on it, and sort of, unfortunately, giving me the tag of libertarian on that, which is almost cringy, but yeah, that's uh, just... Uh, old don't tread on me over here. <laughs> there, I'm obviously not a libertarian, but I very much agree with the idea that the government shouldn't regulate morality. Um, and I think that can be interpreted in a lot of ways. Like, I'm, I'm openly queer. I'm bisexual. The government shouldn't prohibit my rights based on my sex life. That's such a strange concept to me. Um, I mean, in Great Falls, without this non-discrimination ordinance, I've gone in to a place to have a drink, you know, and been waiting for my date, and I've had no problem until my date showed up. Um, and then they see that I'm here with a girl and they won't serve me. I, you know, those kinds of things shouldn't be allowed. There should be protections in place so that other people's idea of how my I should live my life don't limit my rights. And that's, I think, where we can get on the same page with things like marijuana, sports gambling. I mean, it all just comes down to, I should be able to make my choices. And if my choices do not harm someone else, then I shouldn't be prohibited from making those choices. And I think Montanans feel that deep down in their bones. Like, we don't want to be told what to do. Absolutely. But that comment sort of reminds me of a, a conversation I had on the cast a while ago, that, that gal from Whitefish who uh, was defending Whitefish and Hot Springs and the sort of hot... She, had two locations, Hot Springs, she owned a resort there, and then she was from Whitefish. But she's never experienced racism in Whitefish, and I was like, well, that's Just weird <laughs> as somebody who's not necessarily white obviously mm -hmm. you can see me mm -hmm. um i have and i have never lived in whitefish i've just been through so that's sort of the things that i think people that don't identify as queer in any way mm -hmm. would would never notice and might have trouble understanding yeah i think that's just our natural way of coping with our environment is if we don't experience a problem for for ourselves or firsthand or maybe someone we love we, we assume the problem doesn't exist or we ex assume other people are exaggerating that problem um because it doesn't fit with our experiences and that's something we all need to work on is like okay believe the party that it happened to don't start from a point of mm, that sounds unlikely you wouldn't know i will never experience what it's like to be transgender i will never experience what it's like to be a person of color as a bisexual person i am in the most privileged position because i'm very feminine i look straight if whatever that means you wouldn't know i was queer unless i told you and so 
you know, I get to navigate the world as a straight woman, more or less, and a white woman. And that's a million times easier than navigating the world as basically anything else. Besides being a straight white man, <laughs> I am the next on the food chain of, of being able to be more or less safe in my world. You know, Louis C.K. made that joke once of like, you could go back anywhere in time, any point. Mm -hmm. If you're a white male, you're a hundred times better off, probably. And, and people don't and like to like hear people. that because no. they then there's they... this false argument that if you say, hey, you have like this certain amount of privilege that they think, well, my life's been hard. Absolutely. But you don't have one of these minority factors making it harder. Exactly. Can you imagine that? But then on top of that, if you weren't white, you know, like, oh, you know, I hear that all the time. And yeah, there's that concept of like, well, we got rid of slavery and racism. You know, it, the Civil Rights Act packed. There's no problems anymore. You know, what are we still complaining? And it's like, dude, so, telling, like, and a lot of times they'll see it in... Ruby Bridges is like 60-something. Indeed. There's people today who, like, had grandparents who talked to slaves and stuff and, like, had other relatives who were, were straight up, at one point, owned like they were a piece of furniture or something. And, and this is something that I think... This doesn't relate to my campaign at all, but I'm going to say it anyway. Like, there's this idea that we shouldn't have black pride. Like, oh, well, I can't say I have white pride. Well, you're a white person who probably knows where you came from. Like, I know my family's from Ireland and Poland, um, and I'm divorced, but my ex-husband is black and Native American. He couldn't tell you where his family was from. They were brought over as slaves. So, yes, black is how he can identify as a cultural heritage um, and have that solidarity. We took that away from them. He can't say I am have Kenyan pride, whereas I can say I have... Irish pride. And so, yes, because you reduced people to the color of their skin for such a long period of time, they are using that as their source of solidarity and pride. You don't need to. And it's awesome that you don't need to because you didn't have that taken away from you. And so don't go take your 23andMe DNA test and then still have an issue with Black History Month. Exactly. Like we, we can't, we have to address the, the oxymoronic conversation that we sometimes have about things like race like if you say i don't see color then you're living in a very privileged place where your colors probably never affected you that doesn't mean the rest of the world isn't seeing that color and behaving based on that exactly it must be really nice to be able to have to go through that life you know from what i've seen you know tell your kids of like you know if you see cops go talk to them they're it'll be fine they're your friends. That's not how I grew up, right? No. <laughs> um, my mom's from Mexico, so. That... Okay. Well, and that's one of the things that I'm adapting because you're right in that I'm not a politician and I am running for a pretty competitive office. And one of the things you'll get advice from other people is they say, don't talk about the issues. Like, people don't want to talk about the issues. But if you don't talk about the issues, how do you know where I stand? How do you know if I'm the kind of person you want to represent you? Because ultimately, that's what we're doing, right? We're saying, all right. I trust this person to make big decisions on my behalf. And if all you know about someone is, you know, they have a cowboy hat, how do I know they're going to rep represent my my interest? How are they going to, I mean. <laughs> the cowboy hat guy is the last thing on the oh. list here, so. Oh, but let's, uh, oh I thought oh. that was Lola's hat. I'm sorry. There's a lot of cowboy hats in the ring. I was going to say, uh, Lola uh, is the only one I've ever seen who, like, in, cons you know, consistently in every picture I ever see, she's wearing the hat. And all I can think is she sleep with it on um i don't know if these people 
worn cowboy hats in? I mean, you really can't because like it doesn't even fit in your truck. It's a big, it's, it's a problem. <laughs> if so it's a true one, there you're not really you're seeing not... many real cowboys that are out doing cowboy shit. Wearing... Well, that's a, that's another romanticized thing we have, and like I think what we agree on in Montana and the sexy issue to always talk about is public lands. Like, but we all agree on that. Like, that is another equalizing factor in Montana. Like, you know, I grew up very poor, but. I also grew up by the Missouri River, exactly. and I also, like, there are all those things you can do that you don't have to have a bunch of money to enjoy, and and we have to protect public lands, and it's a huge issue. We need to fund land and water at $900 million, like we were always supposed to, and like Senator Daines is not, um, but it's one issue, and it's, it's the issue that we already have the most agreement on, so let's talk about the other big things, because there are so many other big things, um, and so that's that's the one that receives a ton of attention and i'm glad that it does but it's also the one that is the most bipartisan so let's talk about some of those other things that really do define who we are as candidates and define where we stand on issues there's nothing stopping you from getting a cowboy hat as well so if it'll help your election I yeah mean, you know maybe we should get some cup, for this uh, i just don't think that that's my look <laughs> no i think you know i well speaking of your look and optics. I mean, I want to talk about your work at the center of the in Great Falls. Mm-hmm. And how do you think that's going to play out in this election? Whether you think that might be a hindrance or if that's going to... And could you, um, just for the listeners and for my own sake there, mm-hmm. what is your title there? Sure. So I'm not representing this organization at all. But at all. I am the president of the Great Falls LGBTQ Center. We're just a small 501c3 nonprofit. Um, we are one of three brick and mortars in the state, and people are always surprised Great Falls nice. has one. Um, and we do, oh, gosh, a bunch of different stuff. So we do things like free HIV testing, confidential, no cost. We work with City County Health to provide that. Um, we do different support groups. A lot of it's just socializing, community building. Um, we can give you know referrals. We can help people get free counseling. That's a big thing. Um, we have fantastic group of progressive religious leaders in Great Falls because one thing people will have is, you know, my kid is gay, but I go to this church and, and they don't accept that. Like, awesome. I have like five different reverends and pastors that have open and affirming churches that want you there and that really, you know, believe God loves you and all those things. I'm not a religious person, but I've been really um, heartened by the the religious support we have in Great Falls. That's a big thing for a lot of people. Um, my heart is kind of in our teen group. We run a teen group called the Teen Cuties. We started that about a year-ish ago um, because we had this group of teenagers that, you know, were having different issues at school. and um, I can imagine. Uh, oh. we're Going working, back to Great Falls High days. Jeez. Yeah. Brutal and, sometimes. And so we had a group of teenagers that were pretty passionate about it. So we put the group together. We have a teen board. Um, we meet every other week. And it's me and um, another volunteer. Um, and we just have a teen social. So sometimes we do guided discussions about stuff. We have education topics sometimes. A lot of it's just, you know, having somewhere they can go and be themselves. Um, get some peer support. Um, all of our teen board like got mental health certified last year. They do some teen mentoring that's peer to peer, and so that's that's my big project that I've been working on. That's the one that um, you know I'm really passionate about. Um, 
you know that saying that you always see on Facebook, like, be who you needed when you were younger. Um, oh, that's so inspiring sounding. I like that. And and so, you know, I like I said, I wasn't out when I was young, and it yeah. was a huge struggle for me. And so just having had a little bit of social support, that would have made a huge difference in me and my self-esteem and, you know, becoming comfortable with who I was. And I feel like our kids are doing that. Like, we've got kids from about 14 to um, 18, and they organize everything. We're having our second year of our inclusive prom. Last year was our first. We had kids come from as far as Bozeman oh, so that they could come awesome. be, you know, who they are and who they wanted to bring as a date and dressing how they wanted to dress. So we've been making a ton of progress. Um, we got a little bit of grant funding. We um, address teen suicide. Every meeting we do suicide screenings um, and then we follow up with them confidentially. And if they need help, we get them some help. And there have been times when it's like, okay, you know, this kid was having a problem and we're going to go to the ER and we're going to get some help. And even those have been good experiences because it's it's opened up the conversations that needed to happen about we need to get you in with a counselor. And like, I don't usually meet their parents. We don't allow parents at the group. Um, but I've met a couple parents in that regard. And, mm-hmm. and it opened up the conversation of, okay, this is who my kid is right now and how they feel and, and they need a little support. And Clearly, thank you for saving their life. Oh, that's, regards, right? like, that's not me. That's It's much harder to be honest about being in that dark place and needing some help like what we want is that you know go to your teen mentor and then if it's a big deal come to us or the teen mentors will let us know so they're making that choice and they're making that step um and it just gives them an outlet to do that if you didn't maybe know anyone that was queer and you're having you know gender dysphoria and you don't know what to do with that then you might do something rash and when kids commit suicide it's usually an impulse um, and our rates in Montana are so upsetting. We have highest suicide rate in the nation. And unfortunately, um, girls are more likely to kill themselves with a firearm here, 60%-ish more likely than anywhere else in the country. Um, and so we've been working on you know, those, those issues of getting some mental health support when we need it, reducing teen suicide. Um, and we're hopefully going to be continuing that and expanding that over the next couple of years. Oh, well, we appreciate excellent. your work there. It's necessary. In Indeed, this wow! I didn't like. I knew that the center was there and stuff, but I guess I didn't know the full scope of everything that they offered there in that Spence. And uh, wow, that is some critical things, to an extent of like for straight kids. I was back then. Like there, these are services that I wish that were just available from any regard. And um, like that is amazing that you guys are offering that. And the, in conjunction with that, what we're trying to do is support the creation of GSAs, gay-straight alliances, or sometimes they're called gender sexuality alliances within the schools. And we've actually had a lot of success with that this year. Oh, um, and GSAs, they have found, reduces the suicide rate for the entire school. Whether or not you even attend it, it influences the culture so much that suicide rates go down for everybody, even if you have a small GSA. I can see how in that sense of just everyone's uh, cooler with each other and hanging out. and. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you got more friends potentially there, you know, so you got more people looking out for you. Um, I, gosh, yeah, suicides hit me a bit uh, directly there in the family. And, like, so it's yeah. a big issue, you know, it, it is for a lot of people in that sense. And you're from and, Great Falls. Yeah, so, you um, know, I've seen it a lot. Yeah, so I went to CMR, and when I was a junior in high school... What I, year did you graduate? 2007. Before so when I was a junior in high school at CMR, you know, yeah. I had a friend that one day walked into the school, and he said some cryptic shit to, you know, a couple of our friends, but we didn't really get it. 
and he went to the bathroom and he shot himself. And uh, when you think about like the things that influence you, like that was definitely a point for me <laughs> where I, um, I think probably felt a little more motivated to do some concrete stuff about that. Mm-hmm. That was a rough year in general. I mean, we had a lot of loss at CMR that year and it was all gun related. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, teacher too, right? there was another student in my class that was murdered, that was shot. Yeah, it was, and you know, Great Falls High had a similar situation, yeah, and, was, and luckily yeah, that gentleman there. did live. Um, he did, yeah. Um, and so, you know, even in our small town of Great Falls, gun violence has been a very real thing in our lives, um, and it, it impacts you growing up when when you have situations like that. And so, now working with the teens. Um, and having some of those tougher conversations, like I just feel like this isn't something we just have to accept. We don't just have to accept that Great Falls has continual, you know, teen suicide. And we don't have to accept that Montana has the highest suicide rate in the nation because those are things we can change. Like those are not givens. It does not have to be this way. We need to change our, the culture around mental health, around gun safety, around all of those different things. Um, and you have to have those uncomfortable conversations to start those changes. Well, we uh, talked about the center. Um, obviously, I give you some name recognition of this because before you even ran, I had you know seen news articles where you were either involved in some protests or activities, and as well as your face. I'd your, always see the name, and I got to say, like, the glasses are very iconic. In a oh. sense, I guess. <laughs> it's just and poor like, vision. I just feel like I. <laughs> You know, guilty as charged myself there, you know. I can't do contacts, can't touch the eyes. Oof, well, very rarely. Freaks me out, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's move on to age. So you're obviously pretty young to be running for office. I mean, it's kind of a gray hairs club, I would, I would call it. Especially the city commission, you look at... There's a lot of uh, yes. a lot of a lot of old blood on the, on that on that panel. You know, I don't know if I feel super young anymore. I'm 31, and like I said, I spend a lot of time with teenagers, and they'll fucking make you feel old. Like I I learn a lot of vernacular from them still. Like it's been some embarrassing times, and I'm like, what the fuck does yeet mean? Do you want to explain that oh, to me? Yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah. like they communicate 90 percent in gifts. Um, I will so, say I I I, I, I love uh, just keeping an eye on the culture though in today's world. I don't have an Instagram or anything, but I do enjoy like paging through the Reddits to see the current meme uh, <laughs> cultures and such. About Reddits, of course. Yeah, it's know, like the Reddits. Walmart. Yeah, the Walmart. Yeah. Um, so I guess I don't necessarily feel extremely young. I understand maybe I'm a little bit younger running, but I think that's necessary if we're going to start talking about things like smart growth. Um, we need people that are invested in what a future would look like with things like renewable energy, with things like adopting technology and using social media and those kinds of things um, as a substitute for wasteful you print. You would be representing an age group, I'd think, that um, I see a lot of the current commission talk about um, that age group leaving, you know? We we are leaving. Yeah, and because why? There's nothing to do here, and there's you know, all these negative things about it, mm-hmm. but... Um, you just told me there was things to do here, Bryce. I'm saying <laughs> they are saying that, Jim. Did I not... I'm sorry right, if I did not right. explain that Excuse portion. Me. They say that. I do not. I like Great Falls. Um, like I said, born and raised, won't leave its home to me. Other places are slightly weird outside of the state, I mean, if you're either in Montana or you're in Montana, so um, and Great Falls is home within Montana. Mm-hmm. So I think that if we had somebody like yourself on the board, uh, 
representing that age group and that demographic. Uh, that is somebody who we can then point back to and say, look, uh, mm -hmm. there's somebody from our group, fellas, that's getting stuff done, you know. Um, the one loner at the skate park yelling at his friends who were talking about moving to Missoula where all the uh, hip kids with a different their, experience their, on that. Uh, a side note. We, you know, uh, lax weed regulations and such there. And well, lowest priority, things. yeah. yeah. <laughs> So let's uh, talk about some of your competition in this, and I guess that would be a, a good closing point. Obviously, have Lola, who is, I guess, one of those gray hairs getting close to retirement age. Uh, yep. Yeah, and a little bit older than me. Yep. Somebody else just put their hat in the ring. Uh, actually, after we started talking about scheduling this cast, Matt Rains, he's he was going to uh, run for the U.S. House race, but he withdrew and immediately threw support behind Kathleen Williams, who immediately reciprocated. So it's kind of feeling like you're the sort of underdog here. I mean, at least on the Democratic side. Kath Kathleen Williams is the one they, like, uh, tossed in at the last second against Danes, right? I believe so. Okay. She's running for um, the House Federal. House Federal, okay. Um, and she ran before and came very close to winning. And actually, I, I love and adore Kathleen Williams as a candidate. I'm her I've heard her speak several times. Um, she also, you know, has that experience of having a family member with Alzheimer's and has lived that. Um, so I, I really like Kathleen Williams. So yeah, I do have a primary. Um, and honestly, I don't know if, if um, my primary opponent knew I was running or not. Um, what I know... And why I think that I'm the right choice for District 22 is, you know, he lives out, I think, in Sims. Right. Um, I live in House District 22, and I always have. Um, and so I don't know a ton about him, and I don't want to speak for him. I, you know, I went and looked at his website when I found out he was running. First thing I saw was, like, an aerial video of his ranch estate, like, massive. Um, and I understand he comes from, like, several generations of Montanans, and that's beautiful. And, like, I appreciate that aspect but i live in 22 in the double wide trailer that i bought from my parents when i grew up and looking at district 22 there's a lot more people like me you know um i set my fundraising goal at fifteen thousand dollars because that's what he was able to loan to his own campaign i loaned myself my tax return <laughs> i work in human services and i have thankfully a wonderful job that i love and i enjoy but i'm never going to be that the fact is, with wealth, if you are not born into it, it's really hard to to become wealthy. And I am working my way out of generational poverty, but there's a couple reasons I've been able to do that. One is that I don't have any children. Um, another is that I was able to buy, you know, the trailer from my parents. And it's not fancy, but it's mine, and I'm really proud of it. And, and I just think, like, if we're talking about working families, which District 22... It's a lot of people that are around my age. You know, millennials are almost 40 years old at the oldest. Mostly these are working families who are also never gonna own thousands of acres. Um, and so I know my district. I've always been committed to my neighborhood and my city and making it better. And so maybe I'm the underdog, I don't know. I think I'm just a much more average citizen than both of them. You know, the incumbent also is quite wealthy and owns some very wealthy businesses in town. And that's not most people's experience. So I think I'm much more in line with what working working class people are going through in Montana. I think that's always been my experience. You know, um, okay, it's it's, cool. it's a big Cause, yeah. Because everything that you just explained, all I can think is like, wow, yeah, that's more in line with me. Of like, I don't have a ranch. Nobody I work with has a second home or second. <laughs> we're going out to the cabin. <laughs> no, uh, we're uh, you know pooling our money together to buy a pack of white claws. You know, because 
we can't afford it ourselves. Yeah, yeah, and like, and I don't begrudge the fact that you know there are some wealthier generational wealthy families in oh, Montana. Yeah. I just feel like they're already very well represented. Look at our taxation brackets. They are already benefiting as much as they could. Indeed. I'd like to see a little bit more representation for uh, our, our group. I'd like to see Our you know, income myself. tax brackets, the top bracket starts at $17,000, which is so close to the federal poverty line that, you know, we're, if we're making over seventeen grand, are paying same state taxes as millionaires. There's room for improvement there, too. Yeah, must be nice. Get behind a progressive tax system for the income tax. But I I think you're absolutely right in that you are more representative than, you know, a rancher. They are a very small part of even Montana's population. Granted, we have a lot of ranching and agriculture, but, what, 3% of the population? We get their, I think, a a crowd that takes a lot of attention. They are, and, you know, it's, um, it's almost... I don't know, you have to be very careful with this topic in Montana because it's such a touchy group in a lot of ways, I'd say. But it's a group that, like, it's one you... I, I can sympathize with the far, the American farmer and the Montana farmer specifically because I've been, uh, in my travels around the state and stuff, been in a lot of, like, uh, these little tiny diners mm-hmm. where these guys will come in and you can tell it's two farmers from separate farms or something mm-hmm. and they're talking about like bushel prices or something and their <laughs> outlook is bleak at best sometimes in those conversations it's uncomfortable to listen to well I come from a family of failed ranchers which I think is exactly. the majority of ranchers and that's <laughs> well, where and that then- comes into is we have on top of that there's this billionaire class that's coming in mm-hmm. buying out a lot of this land but you have these people come in and even act as if they're, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of the Montana lifestyle and they're... Uh, I mean, it's the Matt Rosendale problem, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned Matt Rosendale because that's the name I was thinking of. Yeah. Matt Rosendale, where is he from there, Maryland? Yeah. Yeah. That was a fantastic campaign against him. That was one of the most effective I'll campaigns say, I've seen. Um, it's something, you know, I guess you could say it's... A, a little borderline risque I've said before but uh, you know if these guys are going to have such a hard stance against immigration and like the immigration problem if they're really so far disconnected with it being on the other side of the United States in the first place mm-hmm. why are you guys picking somebody out of state to run well and, and I, I think <laughs> it's important to say that like farming and ranching is vital not only to our economy here in Montana but it's very representative of the lifestyle that we appreciate and we want to enjoy. And, you know, farmers and ranchers are facing a ton of problems. I think that they're very well represented right now. Mm-hmm. I think there's a portion of Montana um, that is not represented. And I think that is us younger folks. I think that is, you know, people like me that I'm a first generation college student. I grew up on food stamps and my story is not at all unique. There's so many people that are just working their way out of not not having a lot when they were um when they were born and and so i feel like those are the folks that need a louder voice and they're usually not the people running for office you know Mm -hmm. it's not easy if i do get to helena i also am in this campaign and putting money away to be able to afford to be a legislature you know and my pay is i think 22 dollars an hour i'm a state employee so there's pay transparency so you know and, and that's not bad for montana um but if i get to helena it's 11 dollars an hour and i am just me you know i'm supporting myself and so 
is built right now to make it hard for the average person to be in the legislature. No one ever wants to talk about increasing legislative pay because we have a very negative view towards politicians. Eleven but, hours is not a lot. Well, at all. if if politics are supposed to be representative government, yeah. If it's supposed to be that everyone has an equal chance to be there, mm-hmm. then you have to make it so people like me have the opportunity to be there even fundraising you know women have a harder time fundraising because our circles are smaller Mm -hmm. and democrats um do wonderful training and in that training they tell you ask everyone for 180 bucks that's the maximum donation in montana 180 bucks is a lot of money if you make minimum wage that's Mm -hmm. half of your work week like people i know can't afford to give me that kind of money when you're able to loan yourself a lot of money you're probably in a circle that can make that maximum contribution. And, you know, I'm in my campaign. I'm like, hey, can can you give me $5? Can you give me $10? Because I know you've worked really hard for that money and you're foregoing something else to be able to support my campaign. And so we've got to, if we want a representative government, we have to make it somewhere that people can afford to go and represent. You know, there's some people suggest actually publicly funded campaigns for, for candidates. Yep. All right. Well, let me try. We lost <laughs> over this. I mean, that's it's pretty. Oh, I'm. Um, I'm. That's. I. I support it. The only. It is sometimes hard to get a that direct of an answer out of. Well, you're not a politician, as you pointed out. But, but you know, uh, that's the thing that Montanans love, though, is you hear the guy. Well, I'm not one for politics, and it's like, well, I'm going to vote for that guy, and then look what that got us here. You know. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Thank you right. for spending some time with us. So we went on way longer than we planned. Which Whoops. I, Indeed, but you know this—you know—I feel like this is the cast evolving to an extent. Um, thank you so much for, you know, coming on, giving us the opportunity to expand our potential uh, by interviewing somebody else. We don't really get a chance to. Uh, we always plead that we want more people to come on, and it's rare we have people take us up on the occasion. And so, uh, sincerely, thank you for doing that. Oh, with us. Clarify: It's rare that we have people that we want to have on take us up on the occasion. <laughs> <laughs> oh. No, thank you, guys. This is a great opportunity for me. Like I said, I'm still trying to get my name out there. Um, and as much as they tell you not to talk about the issues, I really want to talk about the issues. And so, I, I really appreciate you guys. Uh, coming up to see me and, and letting me ramble for a little bit about my wildly liberal political views. <laughs> That's great. We need a we need a, a wild shaker and mover out there, uh, a new contender, so to say, in the political spectrum. So uh, look forward to seeing what happens with your campaign here. It's going to be interesting and exciting. Well, let me cue you up, Bryce, and we'll run you right through the business here. All right, so uh, once again, you probably said it this out instead of having to record it every time. But if not, we'll, we'll do, do it live. live. We'll do and, it. Uh, we plug straight in, no effects. You're probably listening to us on our website right now, montanavoicespodcast.com. If you'd like to be on this wonderful show, or if you have any questions or comments or concerns, you can email us at montanavoices at gmail.com. Our Twitter feed is going to be at Montana underscore voices. Our Facebook account is at Montana Voices Podcast. And you can find every episode on YouTube by searching at Montana Voices Podcast.